0: People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host.
1: Who scored on you in practice today? Everybody. Every I find that yeah. very hard to
2: believe. No, some days you don't have it. New gear and all. I got an, an excuse. Day. Yeah, I got an excuse. All the new gear.
0: Welcome to an interview edition of 32 Thoughts, a podcast presented by GMC and the new Sierra AT4X. Now, this is one. That I was really bummed that I couldn't be part of. I really like Craig Anderson of the Buffalo Sabers. Elliot, you sat down last Friday with the goaltender. This is a, a pretty wide ranging interview as well. You talk about the pads and taking them home. You talked about his uh, his love of cars, how he almost quit in Colorado, how his you know son. And designed his goalie kits and plenty on his wife, Nicole, who's a cancer survivor and just one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. I had a chance to, to meet her a few years ago when I was doing a, a show on NHL network radio, just an outstanding person. And in this interview, you want to clear something up early. Craig refers to people, a number of people by their first name. Do you have a scorecard for us for who he's talking about?
1: Yes, but first of all, I did want to say there were a number of questions that you wanted, and he said, I wish Jeff was here, and we edited that out. <laughs> Nice touch. Nice touch. Nice so just there, so there's four people he he speaks about. He mentions George, and that's one of the first answers. Anybody who's around the Sabers will know who he's referring to. That is George Babcock, long time on the equipment staff uh, with the Sabers. As a matter of fact, his 2,000th game I think was three years ago. So he's been there forever. That's who he's referring to. Crawford is Mark Crawford who was an assistant coach with him in Ottawa. Uh, I could see how some people might think he was referring to Corey Crawford, but no, it's, it's Mark Crawford. Justin is his longtime agent. That's Justin Duberman. And the coach in Colorado, Joe, is Joe Sacco, who's now an assistant with the Boston Bruins. So that will help you fill in on some of the people that he's referring to.
0: So when you talk to people about Craig Anderson, when you talk about the person, one of the things that you always hear, Elliot, as you well know, is... Great teammate, loved by the guys. When you talk about him as a goaltender and, you know, one of the things that people like goalies have always marveled at is he has a reputation of being able to read shots the blade better than most, if not all, goaltenders. That is one of the unique skills that Craig Anderson has. What are we going to hear here? And what are your thoughts on Craig Anderson?
1: Well, he does discuss a couple of those things, but it's very clear that people are going to learn that he's much more appreciative of things now than he was then. What's the old, I think it was Mark Twain who said it, what's the biggest problem with youth? It's wasted on the young. Mm-hmm. And that we don't really understand what we're going through and what we're experiencing. And he he would be the first one to admit to you i don't want to give too much away sure but anderson was very reflective he uh he was definitely in a mood to talk and we benefit from it and the audience benefits from it
0: like i said off the top i like craig anderson a lot i think you're really going to enjoy this interview here he is buffalo sabers netminder craig anderson on 32 thoughts the podcast So here's the
1: first fact I heard about you that I really want to find out if it's true. In the summer, you do not take your goalie equipment home with you. Is that true?
2: Um, For one season so far. Oh, okay. So this was <laughs> it's not a Yeah, it's not a common thing. I, but no, normally normally I would never leave with my gear, uh, even in Ottawa. I would have them ship it. It'd get shipped two months later, show up at my door. I'd put it at the warehouse or in the garage for whatever and – wouldn't look at it for the most part. So, yeah, after this past season, I just left it and didn't think anything of it. I called and told uh, actually George, and I said, George, can you make sure when I get up there, you hide all my gear, make me have a scavenger hunt? Because um, <laughs> I really don't feel like skating the first day either. <laughs> but uh, no, it was all hanging there. Um, I just found maybe three summers ago, I would skate on my own without, you know, without treatment, without getting, you know, the, you know what i normally get on a day-to-day during the season and i'd end up being hurt and i missed two three weeks anyway so it was better off just not to skate um and then just you know kind of hit it hard when you got back so in the summer i heard you do play like you play
1: defense or whatever I'm,
2: i'm like the extra 11th guy when someone can't make the game for the beer league team you know full cage everything just you know make sure that it's a good skate work on blocking shots and getting in the lane for guys and Get chirped a lot for that beer You're not supposed to block shots.
1: <laughs> <laughs> some some habits are hard to break. Well, I
2: don't have faith in the goalie there. Sometimes, you know. So it's fun to get out and do something different. It's less strenuous on the hips and joints, but still able to get the cardio. And you know, that's still that same that cold air skating that that same effect.
1: See, the, the way I found out about this was I asked. We see so many goalies; their bodies break down. And because the the, the the torque you guys are putting on yourselves is so incredible. And I asked, how are you able to keep such a level at 41? And one of the things people told me was, you don't do it in the summer. No.
2: I stopped, gosh. Um, the last time I fully skated in the summer like, was probably, um, while well, Lou was with Vancouver because he brought down Francois Allaire to skate. So it was like Volcun. Roberto and myself out on the ice and that was like kind of like the last time that I would do the summer skates like we do all the goalie drills this that and the other and then a couple summers later I would would do it but I'd get hurt like I got hurt twice with uh pure gruel coming down and doing some goalie drills and like by day three the knee would hurt or the hip would hurt and be like all right well now I got to take two weeks off so I just stopped it all completely the last few years how good a defenseman are you awful can't skate (laughs) <laughs> great shot though
1: you can shoot it <laughs> yeah so how many goals are you getting in uh, beer league these
2: um days? not many you know i'm more of just like tee it up hit the glass type type of guy but um did score once from the red line five hole that was nice we still lost like five one but i had the goal
1: what did you say anything to the other goalie when you scored
2: no yeah. but they all know they all it's always the same people so in florida there's not like a lot yeah. of players down there there's not a lot of teams so you play the same like four teams over and over again and um, there's this one team that has no face masks. Like they literally go no face mask. I'm like, you guys are nuts. They're like, yeah, we're all military guys. We're like, all right, well, just get out of the way because I have no idea where my shot's going. So, um, but no, it's good rivalry. It's it's fun. It's good to just kind of get out with a bunch of guys. It's just to have you know a non-competitive, fun, easygoing night. Well, uh,
1: Roberto Luongo in the Hall of Fame game, he played forward. Does that mean that when your career is over and you come
2: up for these games? You're going to play defense or forward? I don't know if I'm good enough. He looked pretty good. He looked dialed. I know that pace is a little bit slower in those games, but um, the pace is, I think, quicker than what I play out in Florida, and I can't keep up down there. So I'll probably have to bite the bullet and probably play, you know, stand up, kick save style, um, and actually put on the pads. Now,
1: the famous story you've told about yourself is that when you were young, I guess you were at the might age, and you went into goal during a game, and you never looked back. When you get out there and you play defense in the summer, does any part of you say, I wish I hadn't gotten a goal and I would have stayed out here? Not at all.
2: Not at all. No, I was an awful forward. <laughs> awful. Um, yeah, it, just, it wasn't my personality. I got hit once as a kid mm-hmm. by this little heavier kid going up the wall. We were still squirt, so we weren't even in like checking, but I got rubbed out. Didn't know like which way was up, and I'm like, I'm done. I'm out. Like that was just because I skated out in the summer mm-hmm. just to kind of, uh, I guess, keep working on your skating. You know, as a kid, you're you're always like, oh, you're the best skater has got to be your goalie. That was what you're always told. So mm-hmm. I would skate out in, in the summer hockey when I was a kid, you know, play the spring team or whatever and, and kind of bounce in and out of the, the net with the forwards. And like I said, I got hit once. It wasn't even hit. I got rubbed out. And I was like, this is not for me. I'll take the eight-ounce puck all day long. <laughs> um,
1: you're sitting here now. You're a Buffalo Sabre. And just in preparing for this, Craig, I spoke to a number of your former teammates, a number of people who know you, and they all said the same thing. They said that no offense to anywhere else you played before, but people say that you're happier now in Buffalo at this point in your career than you've probably ever been.
2: Would you say that's true? Yeah, I would say for the most part, um, I'm just that much more experienced i understand the game better i understand life better i understand the coach's point of view better expectations are different you know the expectations of myself and kind of the stress you put on yourself is different i think you know you kind of go through your career i mean i was happy in florida you're playing in florida you're back up you're hanging out there's no pressure there's no stress like you play well great this that and the other and then kind of as you Proceed seed and, and now you get a bigger contract or you go to a team where now you're the number one guy you got to think about that and now the team's on your shoulders it's a lot to process and when things don't go the way you want them to you force you pressure it even more and then things kind of get worse so over the years I've learned to kind of take a step back and look at it from a different point of view and you know I think what really hit me was a few years back Crawford's been around a long time and I remember having a conversation with him he was one of the greatest guys I've ever had like breakfast and lunch with away from the rank. at the rank He was a, you know, a switch went off and it was a completely different man, but <laughs> away from the rank, like you could sit there and have a three hour conversation with him over lunch. And, you know, he said something to me that was very, very, like that sticks out in my head is that, you know, you have to look from a coach's standpoint, everyone's going to make mistakes is about which players can offset those mistakes. So like take a guy like Eric Carlson for you know, for all those years he would generate so much, but, When things aren't going well, he's not making those big plays, everyone focuses in on the bad plays, right? Well, he's always made those bad plays. But when they're offset, you know, if he makes six great plays and one bad one, well, nobody cares. He's plus five, Mm -hmm. right? So Crow is like, if I can get every player to be plus three, plus four on all the plays they make, we're laughing. From a perfectionist point of view or from a goalie point of view, you only hone in, oh, that guy, he messed up there and he messed up there. And it's like you focus in on the negative, where from the coach's standpoint, you know, that's where kind of things started to switch for me was that this guy's plus four on chances for and against like for, he gave up two, but he got us four. Right. So like we didn't score on the four and maybe the two went in that night, but over, over the course of a season, that plus four is going to end up being better than, than a guy that's even right. So if a guy's doesn't generate anything, but doesn't give up anything. You know, It's kind of finding that juggle and trying to find the positive things, and that started a few years back, um, and that's kind of when things started to change for me, for the most part.
1: It's amazing because someone said that to me. They said that earlier in your career, when teams would talk about what happened in a game, you would be like, well, this went wrong, and this went wrong, and this went wrong, and right now, they say, when you talk about games – you talk about the young Sabres players and you say, well, this went wrong, but this is how they're going to learn from it.
2: And these are all the things that are going, going right. Well, like right. people have seen that yeah. in you, Craig. They yeah. really have. No, I mean, like I said, I didn't do it myself, right? It's from talking and having conversations with, you know, even with Donnie or Kevin or whatever, like, you know, they all see the good in everybody, right? And, and everything is always positive. And I've never really understood early in my career why the coaches were trying to be so positive all the time. But now I get it, right? Now that I'm – that much older and that that much more experienced, I understand that the confidence is such a mental side of things that if you just keep hammering the negatives and negatives, A, it's no fun because you're always there. But B, it just wears on guys. And then now it's like, all right, well, it doesn't matter what I do. I did five great things, but nobody sees the great things, right? You make five unbelievable saves. You landed a bad goal. What does everybody look at? Bad goal. Bad goal. I mean, we just we're just conditioned to that. And until you can kind of switch that, you know, which – you know, Canadian media won't do that. But <laughs> from a player standpoint, that's where you really got to sit down and look at the video and go with your coaches and say, hey, this, whatever everybody has to say, who cares? Like 10 great things, two bad things, 10 great things, you're plus eight. Let's work on that. How do you manage stress now better than you used to? Oh, man, I don't know. Uh, kids, that, that's probably yes. the easiest. You know, their life's more important than mine now. So, you know, worst case scenario, I think I remember reading, I read Mind Gym for about five years straight there, kind of in the middle of kind of everything. Kind of when I went through waivers back in the day, I got into one of the Boston psychologists, said, hey, here's a book for you. Mind Jim. Mind Gym. Mind Gym. Um, and I talked to a few other players, I've read it too that I know, and there's a lot of good small short stories and, and teachings in there, but one of them was you know about a pitcher, and, you know, and she's like, how do you deal with stress? He goes, well, I got a family at home, I've got a cabin in the woods, and I love to fish, so If this doesn't work out, I'm going fishing. You know? And that was like, all right, well, like, so as you kind of go through your career, you want to make enough money where you don't have to work and you want to get that stress out. Once you get kind of past that, and you're like, all right, well, now I can go home and, you know, be with my family and hang out and not have to stress over how am I going to make payment? How am I going to do this? Like, once all that's gone, it's just carefree.
1: I bet that one of the ways you relieve stress too is you drive.
2: Yeah, it's fun. What's your car? Like, I know you're a big car guy. Yeah. What do you get into? I bought, this was, gosh, about eight years ago now. I bought an F430 Scuderia, so like a special edition 430. I kind of bought it. um, I lost my best friend over All-Star break that year, that summer. And then, like, a month later, I'm like, I just went and bought a car. I'm like, you live once. Let's do it. Um, And just kind of had that, held on to that. Um, But race cars, I mean, I'll drive anything got corvettes we've done miatas we've done porsches we've done like open cockpit radicals you know anything that gets you on track kind of gives you that that rush that that competition feeling without you know it's kind of safe i mean you're racing for a plastic trophy at at beer league racing is kind of what it is (laughs) so you know you got to be smart enough not to put yourself in in situations where you know you can crash or you know accidents happen that yep. you know, thing, think you know, mechanical failures happen but for the most part you're not going to go door to door with a guy into a corner when you're racing for a four dollar trophy mm-hmm. um you're out there to just have a good time and it's kind of a workout i've heard you say it really helps with your hand eye hand eye it's slow you got to slow everything down um but yeah it's hand eye it's it's kind of it teaches you how to block everything out because if your mind isn't in the car you're gonna crash, you can die, you can like there's lots of things that, that can kind of go wrong, right? Like same thing on the ice. If your mind's not where it needs to be, guess what? You're not going to be very good. So it's kind of a good like mental, not test, but a mental kind of a skill or a mental challenge to kind of get in the car and you know park everything, go on track, stay focused for your 20, 30 minutes, kind of like a period and come off and then get back to reality. Mm-hmm. do you like speed or do you like handling around curves uh more than handling yeah i don't care so much about the top speed but yeah going through a corner at, you know one one and a half g's is quite the impressive i mean again it's, it's a competition with yourself it's figuring out how you can be better how you can be more consistent um you know you work with a coach from time to time to to talk about what you're doing and where you can go and, and how you can improve and i think as a human, as someone that wants to have growth and development, that's some of the best way because I can take everybody out onto a go-kart track, mm-hmm. racetrack. It doesn't matter what it is, there's a competition. There's a place to grow and develop and feel that like and feel the growth. And you feel it pretty much instantaneously because you can see your lap times come down or you can see like, oh, I got through that corner better. Oh, I slid that sideways and I caught it. Like there's certain aspects to it that that make it enjoyable where you, you get excited about it. What are you more passionate about, driving or goaltending? I've always had this conversation with Justin. I play hockey to pay for racing. <laughs> 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 Not good enough to get paid to race cars. So, you know, that's the honest thing. I mean, most of the time, most of the guys that are driving race cars are uh, self-pay. So very few guys get into that realm of, of making a living from it. When they do, it's, it's, you know, like anything. It's the elite of the elite that get paid to play, play hockey. And the same thing with, with auto racing i want to take you back you were drafted twice first by calgary
1: for a second by chicago calgary you didn't sign uh chicago you did do you remember where you were on on those two days and what your expectations really
2: were uh we were in boston for the draft for the first one and then florida for the second one so you did go to both we went to both yeah mm-hmm. um florida was hot i got sunburnt after the draft we went to- <laughs> well you do look a little bit fair so yeah. i can see you burning um- easily so yeah that was good um I don't know I think you know draft day is exciting for anybody like just to f- have the expectation that someone told you that hey you're going to be drafted you're probably going to be somewhere around here and here and it happens I mean it's an exciting moment for a young guy and it's no different for me and you know I think when re-entering the draft that you see a lot of guys drop in the draft or maybe not even get drafted and and then you also hear about the college guys that don't sign and when they get drafted so they go free agent. So like there's you know you, it's a whole world that you don't know anything about and you know you learn as you go. You learn you learn from day to day on it and um, you get to meet everybody, you get drafted, you go up shake everybody's hand and you don't know anybody, you don't remember anybody's name. And then you get put in a box to hang out with the other guys that get drafted and then you know you go right right off to rookie camp pretty much is how that worked. You know, first week of July you're in rookie camp.
1: The other story I was told about you was you were worried that when you were in Colorado, this might all come to an end. Yeah, it was really bad that second year. That you were thinking that maybe your career was over.
2: Uh, I thought my career was over a few times, to be honest (laughs) with you. Um, I thought it was over after waivers through Chicago three times. Mm -hmm. Um, Got sent back to the minors after that. Then the agent I had tried to sign me in russia to get out of whatever it was i don't even know ended up staying in florida anyways but went back to the minors in you know after playing a full season in the nhl so like had a lot of reality check or aha moments where like hey we're not doing something right let's kind of look at it with myself and see where i can be better or see what i can change and that's what you have to do if you start the reason i got put in those situations because i was not necessarily pointing the fingers, but for lack of a better term, pointing the fingers, instead of looking in the mirror and saying, all right, things aren't going the way I want. What can I do to change things? Not, why is that guy doing that to me? Or why is this guy, like, that happened a few times. Some humbling moments for myself to to get back to where I wanted to be. What was the biggest lesson you learned, or maybe the hardest moment for you? (sighs) The hardest moment was don't be satisfied. I made the team in Chicago, and I was satisfied Hanging out with Habby Bullen as the starter. Habby was making $7 million, and I was the $500,000 or four twenty-five dollars backup, just hanging out, made the NHL. I'm hometown. This is great. Happiest guy around. And then before I know it, things weren't going my way. It's funny, Trent Yanni... Because I said I had the second best job in the world in the room of somebody when I was in there. And I think Trent heard that I had the best job in the world Mm -hmm. thinking that, Hey, you're just happy to be the backup. You know, he had the conversation. He said, what do you mean? You're you're the happiest guy in the world. Like you're the backup. Like, I'm like, well, you know, so I love that. uh, uh, You you can't be satisfied. I mean, I've, I've talked with many race car drivers, you know, um, you know, one guy that I'm pretty close with Johnny O'Connell. He's like, stay hungry. And that's the thing. Like, it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter where you're at. Stay hungry. Don't be satisfied. Were you surprised when Ottawa traded for you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a last place team traded with another last place team. Like who would who would have thought? You know, I thought. Like I said again, in Colorado, I was we were bad. I was bad. I mean, everything was just bad. I mean, it was just it was like a black hole of death there in that city that season. After having such a promising year the year before, yep. And we went young. We went super young. We got rid of a bunch of veterans. We went super young. And again, that's we we couldn't figure out how to get out of the hole. And again, it all spiraled. I remember having conversations with the goalie coach. I had a conversation with Sacco. Shortly after those conversations, I was traded. So I have no idea how it got there or what came to that. But I mean, we did turn down money. We turned down you know a short term deal there, and. You know, my dad's always a two in the or you know, one in the hand instead of two in the bush kind of guy. So we were kinda of thinking, we'll take less money, get more term, and that's what we ended up getting in Ottawa. Like when we got there and we took less money but got more term. Just it gives you the time to have a a down moment and get you back on your feet.
1: But there's not a lot of people who would do that in that kind of situation. I, I've talked to players about that before, that when you're not going well and, the, and a team gives you a contract offer, it's almost impossible to say no.
2: Like not a lot of people would have done what you did in that situation. Yeah. The offer was made before the season. So after our run, when we lost to San Jose in, in six there. Yeah. So we had a great season, right? So that was my first time being a starter. I played 71 games. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, fifth in Vesna voting, whatever it might've been. And we thought we had a leg to stand on. And they were like, no, oh, well, you can get two years at X, Y, and Z, whatever it was. I don't even know. Uh, and we were like, no, let's make it four and we'll take a little bit less. They're so like, nope, two years, this is it. Like, it's all we got. And that was my understanding of the whole day. I mean, this, this was, gosh, what, 15 years ago yeah. now. So whatever the details of it all were, we wanted more term. We want, you know, four, six-year deal to, to buy yourself that off year, right? And just have, have that off year right away. Like, it just, we were... And right then and there, you're like, man, you, you hope that the year before is enough body of work to get you another deal. Um, you know, and enough, when I got traded, I had such a great finish, plus the body of work was able to get something done. And Ottawa was the place, I understand,
1: where you learned that people love you for you, like the fans, the city.
2: Yeah. I think from a Canadian market, that place is one of the best places to play. You know, first conversations with Chris Neal, Chris Phillips. Alfie being there I mean Alfie like lived there he still lives there um, Philly and Nealer kind of engraved themselves yes. into the city and you know that town is awesome they were great to all their players. the best thing about being in a Canadian city is obviously you, you do get recognized the fan base they were so family friendly like if you were out with your family you were at dinner you were at whatever we went to you know the pumpkin patches whatever it was like you were left alone. The only time that I really had a, like a stop to talk to people, grocery store. <laughs> for whatever reason, you're walking around the grocery store and you got stopped in every single aisle. Someone had to have a conversation. So you got to just stop going to the grocery stores. <laughs> <laughs> Did anyone ever buy your groceries for you? Is no, anyone- never. Nothing like that. No. I was just, so I, I literally, I became friends with all the the local restaurants and just, mm-hmm. hey, I'm hey, I'm picking up or, hey, save me a spot at the bar. I'm coming in. like. And you'd sit at the bar, you'd have your meal in peace, you know, and- You'd get a kid here and there to come over and you know ask for an autograph or a picture, but for the most part, you were you were left alone at restaurants and you know when you were done eating, you know maybe when someone was on the way out, you you'd get stopped, but like for the most part, it was it was great. You, you know, loved it there, eh? It was awesome. I, I heard you really. It's loved under. It there. It's an undercover good city. Mm-hmm. A downtown has some good nightlife. There's you know you got the football, you've got the university, you've got the restaurants there that people just don't know about because you have to be entangled into the city yeah. to kind of know where to go. You know, if you stay out the Brook Street and you got Canada and that's it, you mm-hmm. don't you don't get to experience what Ottawa has to offer. So, you know, I think eventually when the city does get the rink downtown, if it does happen, that that'd be the a great thing for for just the players to have another respect for for that city.
1: You know, you're going to get your number retired the more I keep asking no. you about this. I don't I, No. <laughs> um the <laughs> 2017 I remember that run. I still remember Carlson's pass to Hoffman in the
2: Boston series. What do you remember about that year? Um, a lot, a lot of life lessons there. You know, that was the year where I left the team. Yep, came back to the team, then left the team, then came. Like it was just, it was one of those years where uh, Guy Boucher was. You know, I remember the start of the season, right? Guy Boucher's the new head coach, and he's got a win now mentality, and hey, this is what we're going to implement, and you know, he sat down with every single player because he didn't know anybody. So he sits down with every player, brings him into their office, has a conversation with him and kind of gives us his background of if he's X, Y, and Z. This is the kind of player I am. This is the kind of coach I am. This is my educational background. This is where we want to go. But, you know, the main thing was what makes you tick? What, what's Craig Anderson like? What does he want to do? What is, what is Eric Carlson like? We, you know, he went down, he, he had a conversation with every single player that year before the season started. And, you know, he truly cared about each individual and you know that's huge you know to get people's confidence and and just to have someone believe in them that that was probably my first experience with with him as far as having that conversation and you know so it was a lot easier when you go into him and say hey like I need to take some time off things aren't 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 right it's like all right you need you know the human was first Mm -hmm. um and that was great you know and that that started when Brian was there and that that trickled down and you know even when you know, Pierre took over, same thing, you know, phone call to Pierre, hey Pierre, my wife's been diagnosed, and blah, 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 and he's like, man, hey, just go home, like, that's where you need to be, and then Hammy got hurt, <laughs> and it was like, gotta go back, um, but I remember we were about to go on a Western swing, played in Pittsburgh, we got beat like 8-2, to two, and I was just not there, I was not there, I was like, I'm about to go on this two-week road trip, my family's in Pennsylvania, you know, in Easton, Allentown, Bethlehem there, and I'm supposed to go to California. Like this doesn't feel right. And I was thinking about that entire game, that that game that we lost eight to two. The whole game, I was thinking about that. I grabbed Pierre Gruel after the game. I go, Pierre, I don't do the team any good the way I'm mentally right now. I need to go home. Like, no questions asked. I just need to go. And he goes, all right. Got a flight from Pittsburgh to to Allentown the next that night, and that was it. Sat for what two, three months. Mm-hmm. Didn't do anything carried my wife up and down stairs took her to treatment battled through that and then you know when the time was right when she kind of went through all that mentally I was like all right I need this I need hockey right like I just was so emotionally entangled in with the family that I was like I need an outlet and I'm like I'm ready mm-hmm. and that's when I went back and Pierre came to, to Jersey there where we were and we got ice for a week and then I, I went up, practice for another week and then you know, we went on that run. Saturday's broadcast will be our Hockey Fights Cancer Night.
1: Most important question, how is, how is Nicole doing?
2: She's good. We're I think we're just over five years out now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think her biggest, you know, thing is just this is the new normal, trying to battle through the reactions or the kind of the, the aftermath of, of treatment. Um, you know, and I think, you know, she's finding – she finds time and energy to, to help others. Right. So anyone else that's going through something or she's got her network of people that are going through the, that have gone through or are going through the same treatment, you know, so there's some common conversations there. Um, but she loves helping people and just having conversations and being there for people. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, her, her first and foremost job is her passion is our kids mm-hmm. and, you know, make sure they're where they need to go. And, after that it's um you know who she can help she's so selfless that you know she she sometimes needs to take a break and take some time for herself too the thing i I admired the most about her is her spirit um you know you're
1: uh, more of a laid-back person at least to us she's not afraid and and out there in her spirit it's I don't know if I would be right in saying it, but it's almost like opposites attract and you're such a great pair.
2: She was always the social butterfly. Um, loves being out and about. I mean, things have kind of, you know, once you get a family and, and you start to kind of get intertwined with all that, you know, you start to kind of be more of a homebody. But, you know, she's always she's always been the social gatherer, the, the party planner or the, you know, just make sure that everyone's involved, right? There's, she doesn't want to leave anyone left out. At the end of the day, she wants to make sure even if she doesn't love you know she doesn't like no well, she likes everybody but it, like if someone she's not getting along with yes she doesn't want to make them feel left out at the end of the day she's always sees the bigger picture and everything and and you know um she's italian so she'll make sure she'll tell you to to go fly a kite and you're you're this and you're that but hey come on over for dinner mm-hmm. um and that's just the italian way
1: is go fly a kite the actual language used? No, but I
2: don't know where, <laughs> no, we, where we're, we're at here. We but can, anyways, you know, that. I think, you know, then she gets that from her grandma and her grandmother was the same way. Mm-hmm. She would, you know, start yelling and screaming and then, hey, can I bake you? A, you know, what can we, let's <laughs> can we get something cook? out of the fridge. What are we making, you know? So I think, you know, life's too short to be mad at people for a long time. And I think she's, like I said, big picture, do what's best for the kids, do what's best for the group. And, you know, like I said, she's selfless, puts everybody else forward.
0: You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. And that will do it. The Oilers see their
2: five-game winning streak come to an end. But everyone, everyone cheering for Craig Anderson, who records his second shutout of the season, the 35th of his career. And an emotional
1: time for he and his family. But his family is on the ice congratulating him right now. You don't see this very often. Every
2: single guy, a game in October, every single guy come over to their goaltender, give him a
0: hug. There's a lot of emotion there got two types of family where you're a professional hockey player you've got your nuclear family your family but then the other ones that
2: extend to that dressing room and it's a heck of a moment and very emotional and it's beautiful
1: there's things that you see in sports that you're never or in life that you're never going to forget and I'll never forget that game in Edmonton what do you what's the first thing you think of
2: uh surreal I mean it didn't happen there's no way that happened I mean I I was in pennsylvania the day before i flew all day i got picked up at the airport from carl and and clarky we went to grab dinner i got to the hotel i got a massage from sean there the the massage guy that night In morning skated i mean i hadn't skated for like three four days like i hadn't, I hadn't done anything like i just and then for that to happen it, i mean it wasn't it wasn't supposed i mean it was supposed to happen but it, it you You can't make that up, you know it's like there's more there's something else in the universe doing something than than we kind of fully understand, and those are the moments that you realize that you're not you're not alone there's something else going on there's there's a bigger power there's a bigger something, whether you want to believe it or not there's in that moment that was supposed to happen
1: mm-hmm. Do you ever watch that game again?
2: Do you ever watch the ovation again Anything no like i mean that? It's, it it popped on there for a few you know every once in a while it pops up mm-hmm. there, but no i not, it's not really. When you walked into the dressing room after the game, what was that scene like? I think everyone was just kind of, I mean, I don't tears of joy, you know? I mean, everyone was emotional. I mean, I was the most, emo- I was an emotional wreck. I think guys were just in disbelief, you know? Like, did this really just happen? I mean, I wasn't, I, mean, I was stressed before the game because, like I said, you hadn't practiced for three days. I had a morning skate. I just mm-hmm. trapped, like, and to get to Edmonton from, from, Pennsylvania from philly is not a direct flight so like you're going through hoops to get there so if you had to tell that story of like hey like this guy didn't practice for three days and you know i mean it's like the e-bug story right like it's not supposed to happen but it it happens you know and Mm -hmm. that's just kind of the way it goes what do you remember with the playoffs that year um things were happening at the right time at the right spot right like clarky scores a big goal in Overtime in Boston, like he wasn't supposed to be playing. Like, great
0: Carlson ready doesn't shoot it here. The pass to the side of the next Score. Ottawa wins the game. Ottawa Senators win the series. MacArthur got in close, really close, and he's a hero.
2: What a story. Clark MacArthur, who has scored one other goal in this series, coming off a season and a couple of years where he has not been able to play because of concussions, what a marvelous story for him! What a marvelous story for the Ottawa Senators!
0: Unbelievable.
2: That's what I mean. Like so much had to come together that season to go right to get us to where we were. I mean, Carl was playing on a broken foot, Clarky. You know, missed the whole year with a concussion. I missed three, four months. Like, it just wasn't spo- – I mean, we, we treaded water all season long to get get into the playoffs and then just get in. That's, that's the message. I mean, you just get in. You never know what can happen. I still remember that overtime, uh, game seven, Pittsburgh, and
1: how close it was. And I, I've talked to players before who say that when they lose a series like that, they can't decide if they want the team that beats them to win the cup or the team that beats them to lose the cup because they don't want to think they could have won it. Did you
2: have any thoughts like that after it was over? No, I think um, at that point, like, you know, the message from Nicole was that, you know, you're, you finished treatment, right? So like I went back to play. I was like, all right, well, if, if this is it, this is it. You know, you got your family, you got your kids, like there's bigger things in life. Like that was kind of like the first true, like, Hey, i I can walk away and say, "Hey, like I got bigger and better things to do with my life as far as family, kids, and that kind of stuff." So I like I don't know. I mean, I'm happy they won. I mean, mm-hmm. it, you know, it just shows a show that I don't know how we would have done in Nashville. I I never I I always mentally Nashville's a tough place to play. Mm-hmm. The fans get on you. They play that stupid song when they score. <laughs> I mean, my kids went to one of those games and the whole fan's cheering that Anderson sucks. And my kids are like, what are they talking about? It's a tough place to go in and play. So who knows? I mean, we may have gotten swept. I don't know. No you way. Just, you don't know. No way. We both played the same system. Mm-hmm. We literally both played the same system. So Pittsburgh already had, you know, they had the roadmap to win against Nashville because they just did. The, they just beat us with the exact same system. So who knows if, if you got both one, you know, the 1-3-1 with the, the left D-lock, who knows what team would have won after who know? I don't know. <laughs> Let's say Sens. Get everybody uh, mad. No. Uh, Let's say Sens. Yeah,
1: who knows? I don't know. Did you watch Alfredson's induction?
2: No. I mean I caught tits, you know, bits and pieces of, of kinda of everything. Mm. And, you know, obviously Instagram's great where you kinda of get Yes. You get the gist of it all and you get the the highlights, but dude, he's such a great guy. Yeah. He was oh man. I I sat next to him on the plane when I when I first got there and we'd always play whatever on the iPad and games or whatever, but he always went out of his way to make sure everybody was included. Big mental health guy. Yeah. But I think that's part of it, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, he made sure he went, talked to all of the wives and girlfriends. He went and make sure he said the hello to everybody. Like it was just, and it didn't feel forced, you know, when he did it. Mm-hmm. And that's tough. Cause it would be forced. If I, if I had to go try to talk to everybody, it's, it's just not my personality. And he, I don't know if it's his person either, but he made it seem like it wasn't forced and he was able to do it and he had a connection. I mean, same thing with, with Oki with our team now. Like mm-hmm. he's, you know, he, he's. He's a guy that can go up to all the wives and girlfriends, have a conversation, ask them how they're doing, and, and it's natural, right? Like that type of connection, that type of leadership, and you know, you, you, that's, that's hard to find. And when you, when, you got, when you got a guy like that, it's memorable.
1: I'm glad you mentioned Okposo because uh, one player who will remain nameless said that uh, one of the things they thought was really impressive that happened in Buffalo was I guess there was, there was a team meeting last year in Dallas when things weren't going very well. And they said that you and Okposo were incredible. Now, I don't know how much you're going to tell me about that, but I'm going to ask you about what happened in there as much as you can say.
2: Um I think at that point, I think I just kind of came back, at, you know, I kind of watched for two months from the from the sidelines and we were struggling. We were struggling and it's been you know, it's been that way for a while in the organization and and it was like, "All right, well, what can we do from a player's standpoint?" What and then that's kind of how the start of the wheels get the turn like it's different when a coach says right the coach isn't in the battle he's not entrenched in in the battle and day-to-day on the ice and this was an opportunity to step up and say hey okie what what can we do as a group to just set expectations for ourselves right i think that was that was the goal was to set expectations obviously there's always outside expectations but at that point there was like 32 games left i don't know whatever it might have been i just have to go back and look and i think my f- first comment was i'm a realist i'm realistic i understand where we're at i understand what we have here i understand where we're going and what's our expectations as a group what do we what do we want to do and like it was kind of a rhetorical thing of just to get people to start the wheels turning and you know i said you know with 32 games left can we be 500 after this can we be 500 over our next 32 games and we ended up going whatever 19 10 and 2 whatever it ended up Mm -hmm. being right i don't even know um but that that was pretty much the message of of here's our expectations and here's how we're going to get to them you know without getting into all the details of it Mm -hmm. that was it i mean it was i don't know 20 minute meeting or so Mm -hmm. but there wasn't it wasn't like a huge dialogue it was just hey this is my experience this is what I see and this is how mentally we're going to get through the next 30 years. You can pack it in and go 10 and 20 over the last 30 games and yeah, let's go play golf. Like that's, that's not fun. Mm-hmm. That was the message. And Okie was fully supportive of, of that. I mean, even Donnie and Kevin were, were supportive and they thought it was great. And you know, it's, it's always different when it comes from within that makes it mean more because it's kind of a joint venture versus someone just kind of telling you what to do. You know, the team's in a tough streak right now, but I think this is different. Like, I look at
1: the talent here, and I think it's tough to win in this league. It's my personal opinion. I don't play. You can tell me if I'm wrong. I just look at some of the pieces there, and I say, it's going to work. It's just going to take longer than everybody would like. And the tough thing in Buffalo is it's been a tough decade, so the fans don't have patience, which I understand. But I look at the
2: pieces, and I say, I think this is going to work. Well, I think my personal opinion it's not if it's when, and i think that's kind of what your message is here is just now is that it's not if it's when again it's something that's going to have to come within right we're not we're not outsourcing we're not trying to fix it from bringing in other players it's it's, it's the belief right kevin believes in what he's put in there and, and in that room and, and donnie believes in that room and and our players we believe in that room so it's just a matter of now fine-tuning the details that that The difference between winning and losing is such a fine line that right now we're teetering on that line but we're just on the wrong side of it so start the first 10 games we were on the other side of that line right Mm -hmm. so like it's just trying to find that happy medium and and the teams that do it well and do it consistently are you know teams that we need to look to and say why are they doing it well and why are they doing it consistently and just try to mimic them delians for real right Darlene's for real. I mean, he's, what, 23 years old? Mm-hmm. Started playing in the league for five years? Like, you know what you get with him, mm-hmm. right? It's spectacular.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Again, we go back to the the Crawford conversation of, does he get you plus four tonight or is he getting you minus two, right? The chances he gets, the, the the plays he makes, he's always a plus player. And when you when you sit there and break down his game, there might be a play where you're like, man, what are you thinking there? But there's also five plays where you go, man, like, <laughs> this guy is legit. This guy... You know pucks on a string you know and like i said you got to look at both sides of the coin and say he's doing a lot more positive than negative even though everybody likes to focus on the negative especially when you don't win powers for real powers is coming along I mean, he was 19 years old yeah. gosh you're putting a lot of pressure on a guy to play top line minutes right now with all the injuries that we're kind of having and you know he's kind of stepped in and held his own and The great thing about injuries is they give opportunities. You can't look at what you lost. It's what you have. And we've got a guy that's going to be a humble guy. The guy for being a a first overall pick, zero ego. And that's tough to find. Guy has zero ego. So, you know, he's learning. Mm -hmm. He's learning. and I think he's coming along great. And let's be honest. I've got bad days. You've got bad days. Mm -hmm. He's going to have a bad day. Mm -hmm. Everyone's going to have a bad day, but. In the grand scheme of things, you know, definitely a positive outlook. Thompson's for real? I think he's following up on his last season so far, you know. Um, You know what I like about Tage is that he's got the skill, but he's also arguably our hardest working guy practicing games. I mean, when you look at the tape and you watch him in practice, you know, it says something about his character. Samuelson for real? Sammy? I, mean, I heard you really like him. Sammy's great. Yeah, I heard you really like yeah. that guy. Sammy, again, focusing on the negatives here. Um, last year learned a lot, right? There was a lot of moments where you're like, man, what are you thinking here? What are you doing here? And and then when you really break down the game and you see what all he brings to the table, you're like, man, all right. Like You start to have more belief in him. But there was a play in Columbus. I, I remind him all the time, too. <laughs> um, in Columbus, my left corner seven seconds to go all he's got to do is just eat the puck or throw it behind the net he blows a tire puck kicks out into the dot i kind of go to swipe at it they pass it back door empty net now it's like it was six two or six three at the time now it's seven three he he skates off the ice shaking his head he's he's like down and out like you know going to ride the bike all pissed off i i go sammy just be glad it didn't happen in a 1-1 game, <laughs> 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 you know? And you kind of see a little bit of a chuck. I'm like, dude, don't worry. I mean, listen, like it's going to happen. There's going to be nights where you're no good and you make a bad play, but just be glad it's 6-2 right now and not, you know, not 1-1, you know? And like, and I've seen his game just completely growing. Like I'm not saying that moment was a turning point or anything by that, but I'm just, I think that's maybe what's what he needed at that moment in time to say, Hey, like, It's okay. Let it go. Let's move forward, you know? And, you know, again, that's one thing where a young guy, where I know when I was young, I wouldn't let anything go. You know, I'd be like, oh, I'm all pissed off. Call this guy. This guy blows. This guy stinks. What? like, Mm -hmm. that doesn't do you any better. It doesn't get you better, right? And so I think that's what I've learned. and, And that's what I'm trying to pass on to the guys is this, you know, take some of the good out of it. Yeah, look at the bad, say, all right, what can I improve here? But also, hey, you did this, this, and this, and let's grow on that. Three more for you. Number one, what's your oldest piece of equipment? I try to get new everything every year, like neck guard, cup. Um, right now I would say maybe skates. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Staff's trying to get the staff's trying to get me in the new ones right now, so um, I don't know. We'll see. Okay. Tell us about your son, the artist. You know, he's got a creative side, Jake. He's uh, kind of been the guy that you just. Drives you nuts sometimes at home, so you're like really trying to find things for him to do. So, you know Design my pads. Yeah, we gave him a back in whatever I think it was sixteen maybe. Maybe eight I don't even know when it was. Maybe it was twenty eighteen. We had a sheet that, you know, of the the logo for that Brian's was using for the, that color scheme and gave him a box of crayons and said, Do something for the next hour. Just get out of her hair. <laughs> um and then We were in, I think we were in a car ride this summer and I was getting the texts from Henry from Bauer and sending me like, you know, all these different color schemes for the gear. And I'm like, I'm like, Nicole, do you like any of these? She's like, no, not really. I'm like, Jake, what do you think? He's like, I don't like those either. I'm like, all right. So I text Henry back. I'm like, Hey, can you send me the, the online configurator for the pads? He's like, yeah. So he sends me the link. I give my phone to Jake and Jake starts messing around with it. And he comes up with it. We take a screenshot and I send it off to Henry. So He's like, all right, we'll make those. And then we made a red one. So that was, I mean, he's, he's got more creativity than I do. Good work, make work project. It occupies him, right? He's, <laughs> he's the type of kid that, you know, if he's bored, he's going to drive you nuts. So we like to give him things to do from time to time and be involved. You have a reputation as being excellent at reading players' hands. Who's the
1: toughest? Who's your biggest challenge?
2: Right now, yes. I'm going to stick with my in-house team, and that's Victor Olsen. Olison, awesome, eh? Yeah. He's the toughest guy to read? Right now, yeah. What does he do? I don't know. He shoots in different spots all the time. He's always, uh, his release is really good. Um, some guys are just really easy to read. I don't. I can't really. Okay, who is really easy to read? <sighs> the young guys. Really? All the young guys. They're not smart enough to like, well, I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with Marty Berder, but I remember Marty saying, I always used to give the guy gloves side because I know he'd shoot there and then I'd just stand there and catch it. Mm-hmm. I do that in practice to the guys to see if they got their head up. And they do. They look right in the spot. You see their eyes light up, and then you just move over and they hit you right in the pad and they get all mad. It's like, guys, I'm telling you what I'm doing. And you're not smart enough to figure it out. Where Vic's kind of figured out. And some of the older guys, they figure it out. And then, you know, once the guy kind of figures it out, then I'll, you know, play a little bit more legit. Like I like to play mind games from time to time. Like there's most of the time, you know, I'm trying to be legit, butterfly, Mm -hmm. be on my, and, and play hard and play that way. Um, And then there's just some guys you just can't do that to because they're just not ready yet. Mm. They haven't figured out that I'm messing with them (laughs) enough to figure out. It's just, it's like a cat and mouse game. Like, so for a young guy, I'll do that for him for maybe two shots. But then on the third one, I'll play legit. Like mm-hmm. It's not fair to them for me to play like a 1985 goalie all the time. I don't know. So, I think that they should learn. No, because it's not coming back. But like okay. I said, it's, you don't want to get them into that habit. But yeah, five years ago, I wouldn't have cared. i mean, been like, whatever. I don't care about practice. And and that's yeah. just, again, it's understanding your your audience, right? I think your practice habits have to be good. Mm-hmm. And there's a the time to mess around, but there's also a time to compete and it's finding those moments to have fun yet compete and that's kind of where i'm trying to took me a long time to get there because in colorado i didn't i didn't practice hard and i got in the first year i had such success with it and then the next year i hadn't figured out how to compete and practice and the year didn't go the way we were going and then the coach is like hey you're not practicing hard what's going on so like i've had the ups and downs Mm -hmm. i mean it happened in ottawa too where i didn't practice hard and it looks bad and and then the guys get all pissed off but Again, I think I've kind of found that balance where, you know, the guys, I think the guys realize now that I actually play that way sometimes. So like I do have to play like that in practice sometimes because I it carries over into the game. You know, I'm not your prototypical Luongo butterfly on every shot. It's just not who I am. So uh, if I do like that in practice all the time, then I won't be ready for myself in the game. So again, it's, it's balance. And I think as the experience goes, I've gotten better with my balance.
1: Will you be back next year?
2: Oh, man, come on. My kid said no already. He said no. I already asked him. Is that, but what do you say? I get it. It might change, but I'm just saying he said no. I asked, you know, like this is hard. This is this is hard on the family. This is hard on the kids. Yep. Um, I did go home twice during training camp. They've come up a couple times. They're up again for Thanksgiving. So, I mean, it's hard. It really is. But, I mean, I mean, they're at a point now where, you know, he wants to go play mini sticks with me and go to the rink with me and go to the baseball field. And, you know, when you're not there, it's, it's tough. And then you try to shoehorn it all in the summer, and then it's like now you're overbearing for those two months. So it's like you're trying to find that balance. Again, it's balance. So we'll see how the balance of the season goes and see where the conversation goes. But, I mean, physically, I feel great um mentally i'm in a great spot so you know i found a routine that, that works um you know from day to day and you know we just played back to back and you know unfortunately had to get in there for the second one but um i feel pretty good after that so you don't know i mean you, one hit and you could be done mm-hmm. that's the thing right like in one hit life changes differently um you know fortunate enough i was able to kind of get back to my normal Mm -hmm. um last year and kind of play through it and the summer was good so we don't know selfishly i want to see you play but i understand it for the kids i don't know dominator was in the other day uh and i asked him how old he was when he retired he said 43 and i'm like (laughs) i don't know don't know (laughs) he did he did put the bug in the air that he was 43 when he retired so (laughs) i
1: don't know okay don't know Thanks so much. Yeah, no worries. I
2: really appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed it. I did. It was awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much.
0: That's Craig Anderson, Buffalo Sabres Netminder. Really hope you enjoyed that interview. We have another podcast coming out, as usual, Friday morning. That'll be the news-filled one. Hope you enjoyed this interview podcast. Taking us out is a multi-instrumentalist who isn't afraid to blend genres. Joel Wasberg, stage name Sir Was, mixes hip-hop with textural synths using pop structures. It's pretty good. From his latest record, Let the Morning Come, here's Sir Was with Waiting for the Weekend on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. I'm the thing